Well, good morning. And we have been in a series called Unbalanced. And what we've been encouraging our people to do and everyone watching to do is to pursue an unbalanced faith. And unbalanced, maybe that seems like a negative word, but it's really not. Because what we're advocating for and encouraging our people to do is, is that when you're devoted to Jesus, when you're so locked into following Jesus that your actions and the things you do as a result of following him will actually seem unbalanced and in some ways unnatural to the watching world. And so what is an unbalanced faith? Well, over the last five weeks, we've noted that an unbalanced faith uh, chooses courage over comfort. It's generous and sacrifices everything. An unbalanced faith will rip the roof off a house to get your friends to Jesus. An unbalanced faith takes risk and gets out of the boat and is confident in Jesus. And then finally, last week, Shan did an incredible job showing us that an unbalanced faith is kind towards others in a world of judgment and hatred and anger. But we are kind towards others. And if we're being honest about those actions, some of those things are hard to do. It's hard to be generous or, or to have courage or to be kind in a culture of anger. It's hard to do those things because at the core of all of those actions of faith, all of that unbalanced faith is self-sacrifice. And self-sacrifice runs counter to everything we believe and the way we operate in our world. It is countercultural to what we hear today. See, we live in a you-do-you, seek-your-truth, find-whatever-makes-you-happy kind of world. And when you're only focused on yourself and only your successes, well, then it doesn't leave much room or time for self-sacrifice. In fact, many of you are probably familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the idea is that if you have your most basic needs met first, then you can climb the ladder to eventually reach uh, self-actualization. You can find true joy and true success. If you have your basic needs like food and water uh, met first, then you can focus on finances and the emergency fund. And, and once you have those needs met, well, then you can begin to devote your time to relationships and, and, and getting to know other people. And then finally, you can focus on your career and your purpose, and you can reach self-actualization, and you can have true joy. But what happens when you don't? What happens when your circumstances change and the success is taken away? What happens if you don't have the privilege to have your most basic needs met? What happens if a pandemic creeps up behind you and threatens everything that you hold dear? See, if we're being honest, one of the reasons this pandemic has been so hard on most of us is because our, our daily needs and the things we find joy in have been threatened our trips to the grocery stores are now different. We have to actually plan for it and we have to put a mask on and you have to go down an aisle a certain way. And if you miss something, then you're all out of sync and you almost have to do a whole nother lap around the grocery just to get back in line going the way you need to go. And it takes longer and, and your favorite items and products that you normally buy are no longer available. And maybe you had to buy off-brand stuff and you're just mad and you're tired and you're over it. My wife and I were talking about, about this uh, pandemic shopping, and you know what we're tired of? We're tired of one-ply toilet paper. We want the soft stuff. We want Charmin Ultra Soft because that's what we deserve, and that's what gives us joy, and that's what gives us happiness. And so as a result of all this, we've complained, and we've gotten angry, and we've criticized, and we've judged each other because this pandemic is invading our you-do-you, find-your-truth 
whatever makes you happy culture. It's invading our lives and it's threatening our way of life. And here's the truth about all this. When your circumstances control your joy, your joy will always change with your circumstances. When your circumstances control your joy, your joy will always change with your circumstances. And because our joy is most often found in our circumstances or the things around us, we don't have time for self-sacrifice because it threatens our joy. It threatens our circumstances, but that's why it's called a sacrifice. So what do we do about this conundrum? Well, what do we do about this? On on the one hand, we have Jesus saying, live an unbalanced, self-sacrificial faith. Uh, Let go of things you love for something greater later. But then on the other hand, we have the hierarchy of needs that say, our circumstances must be perfect for us to have joy. We must have these things in life to be happy and find fulfillment and purpose in life. So what do we do about this? Is it self-sacrifice and be miserable? Or is it don't worry about sacrifice and go for your greatest needs so that you can be happy? Look, here's what I know. And I'd like to answer some of that question. And here's what I know about that. Is that these actions of unbalanced faith, these deeds of faith are not something that we should complain about. It's not something that we should whine and groan about and that we should dread doing. In fact, these actions of unbalanced faith, the self-sacrificial faith should ultimately lead to joy because the reason for our sacrifice is a much deeper, more fuller source of joy than anything our circumstances could provide. In fact, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verse 25, Paul begins his letter, and we're going to go through this letter today, but he begins his letter talking about joy that is found in unbalanced faith. Here's what he says. He says, I am convinced that I will remain with you so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul, the writer of this letter, believed that faith should lead to joy. Believe that that unbalanced faith, that self-sacrificial faith should lead to joy. He says that there's joy in faith. Like I said, that's because joy and and faith and self-sacrifice is rooted in something far deeper than any temporary circumstance could ever provide. And so as we go through this letter today, I want to give you just a brief background of where Paul's writing from. See, he's sitting in a Roman prison. It's probably more like house arrest. He still has uh, people who can come to him. He can get uh, his letters out. So it's probably a lot like our lives are now. He's kind of in isolation. It's not the harshest prison, but, but he's still depressed. He's still away from people that he loves. And he's awaiting a trial before Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. And so he's no doubt feeling lonely and feeling isolated. But as you read through this letter, and I would encourage you this week to take 20 minutes and read all four chapters of Philippians, because as you do, you will see that his overarching theme is joy. Whether you're in prison, no matter your circumstances, good or bad, Paul says that we can have joy. And what's crazy about Paul's story is according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Paul would have already reached self-actualization at an earlier point in his life. In fact, Paul records it for us in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Look, that might not mean much to us because we don't necessarily worry about uh, circumcision and Jewish law anymore. So let me give you my translation of what Paul just told us. 
he had his life together. Uh, Paul lived that hashtag blessed life. He lived the life that every other good little Jewish boy wanted to live. He was devoted to his uh, calling. He was devoted to uh, climbing the ladder and reaching success. He was devoted to righteousness. There was nobody like Paul. He was success and one person. He had his life together. But Paul soon found that it wasn't enough. Look how he continues, uh, picking up in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. His lesson is profound here because it's counter to everything we've been taught and everything we believe as a culture. See, he had all the success, but what he came to realize was that success does not equal joy. And he had success. He had it all. He had everything you could have wanted, but it wasn't enough because success is never enough because we always want more. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that I had been watching uh, the documentary called The Last Jant last dance that talks about Michael Jordan and the six-time championship winning Bulls. And one of the things that I noticed as I watched this documentary was that Michael Jordan was never satisfied. He would berate his teammates at the cost of winning. He would create false uh, arguments and beefs with other guys that he was playing against just so he could get a competitive edge to beat them and be the best. And at the end of the documentary, when he's reflecting on his career and the last season that he played with, his bolt, with the Bulls, the, the documentary asked him, do you wish you would have been allowed to go for a seventh championship? And with tears in his eyes, he says, yes, I felt like I was robbed. I felt like I was robbed perfection. I should have been able to go for that seventh championship and be the best. And instead of finding fulfillment and happiness in the six prior championships and, and happiness in being somebody who absolutely changed the game and one of the best players to ever play the game, Jordan is left wanting and he's left miserable because he didn't get a chance to get a little bit more successful. And he's not the only celebrity or, or person who had it all but came up empty because it's part of our human condition to always want more. It's part of our condition to always want more success. Paul, Michael Jordan, they all had it all, but it wasn't enough. And to the young professional or, or the overworked mom or dad who's trying and trying so hard to get success because once you make it, once you make it in the world, then you can finally have joy. I just want to let you know it won't bring true joy because success will come and go. Your circumstances will change. Everything could be going good, and then a pandemic comes up and steals your job. And if that's where your joy is, your joy will always change. And Paul said all of his successes he considered as garbage. And so if success is your goal in life, if that's where you find joy, then I would plead with you to find a new source of joy today because there is a more a pure, fuller source of joy out there. But it's not just our success. Look how he continues in the second part of verse 9. He says, uh, I, no, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Well, let me just pause here for a second after those, those quick words. Does anybody else or is it just me feel like following Jesus is hard? I know it's hard to follow Jesus. 
Because for me personally, I get so focused on doing the right thing. I get so focused on worrying how others are going to think about me as a Jesus follower. Well, if he does this, what are they going to think about me? Or if I do that, what are they going to think about me? And if I'm being really honest, I spend more time focusing on my own internal perfection than I do looking to the perfection of Christ. And a lot of ways, what I do is I try really, 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 really hard so that God will love me. If I can just kick the habit, if I can give more, pray more, gossip less, if I can just get rid of all this junk in my life and I can be really, really good and I can do all the right things, well, then maybe I'll earn my way to God. Maybe I'll earn my way to heaven and then I can relax and I can have joy because I've finally done enough to earn my way to God. It's easy to count on our own righteousness to bring us joy, but Paul isn't even counting on that. Look how he continues in verse nine. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Notice what Paul says. It's not by my trying really, really, really hard that I get to God, but it's only through my faith in Christ. In other words, moral perfection does not equal joy. And this is something that I know many of us need to hear today. Because for a lot of us, we have always associated following Jesus with being good little boys and girls. We gotta do the right thing and we gotta observe all the sacraments and we gotta do all of this stuff. We have to do, do, do to finally earn our way to God and then God will love us after we do enough. And while we should strive to be more like Jesus, there is absolutely nothing that you or I could do to earn his love. I came across a story this week about a, a father who had recently adopted a young girl. And it turns out this was her second adopted family. And what he quickly learned from this uh, newly adopted daughter was that in her first adopted family, the family would always take trips to Disney, but they'd leave the adopted daughter behind with a family friend. And so by the time he adopted her for the second time, uh, he realized that she had seen many pictures of Disney, but she never got to experience the magic of walking through the gates of Disney. And, and she, of course, always attributed this to her own behavior. She thought she just wasn't good enough to go to Disney. And when the father learns this, he, of course, immediately begins to plan a trip to Disney. And he lets the family know that they're going to be going to Disney. And almost immediately, the daughter begins to misbehave. And he realized she's been here before. She knows that she can never earn her way to Disney. And so she begins to act in a way that puts her the farthest place from there. Finally, her behavior got so out of control that he had to sit down and have a talk with her. And the first words out of her mouth was, you're not going to take me to Disney, are you? He, of course, was taken aback. And he looks at her and he says, Sweetie, is this, is this a family trip to Disney? Yes, she said. Honey, are, are you a part of this family? Yes, she said. Then you're going to Disney. There may be some consequences, but you're, you're still going to Disney. Finally, Disney arrives and, and they spend all day waiting in line to ride rides or get food. And I guess it was a fun time for them. And they're back at the hotel that night. And he looks at his daughter and he says, Sweetie, how was your first day at Disney? She snuggles up to her new unicorn and she says, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I was yours. 
Friends, there is nothing we can do to earn our way to God. There's no amount of goodness, no amount of righteousness that we can do to earn our way to God. Jesus takes us to God because we are his. We are his because he sacrificed his life. We were bought with a price and we are his and he takes us to God. He takes us to that true source of joy. Moral perfection and self-righteousness will never be enough to supply true joy. And once you realize this, once you realize that the pressure is relieved and that even if you mess up, there's already forgiveness for you in Christ, the joy begins to set in. So where do we find joy? Where is this joy that we keep talking about? Look how he continues this part of the passage, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You hear what he says? He says, I want to suffer to know Christ. If it means I get to know Christ more, I will suffer with him. I mean, can you imagine having that kind of attitude? And I know there's people watching who say, I can't take another day of suffering. I can't handle another phone call or fathom another doctor's appointments. I'm tired of being an outsider, an outcast. I'm tired of the stress. I'm tired of being separated, of never having enough. I can't handle another episode of suffering. I'm tired of it and I'm done. And Paul says, I welcome all of that if it means I get to know Christ more, if it means I get to participate and share in the joy of knowing Christ more. And this is the key to everything. This is the key to spiritual self-actualization, to joy, to living an unbalanced faith. It's that realizing that joy is found in all we have in Christ. Joy is found in realizing all we have in Christ because when you know Christ and you participate with Christ, you will experience resurrection in one way or another. And this is the fundamental truth of the gospel that you and I need to daily be reminded of, that we need to hold on to, and that we need to find our joy in as we reach for this unbalanced faith. Joy in all circumstances, suffering, mistakes, failures, joy in all of those circumstances is unbalanced. It is not natural. To face death and say, I will still choose joy is not a natural response, but it is the response of a follower of Jesus who knows what they are promised who realizes and knows everything they have in Christ. And that mindset or decision to choose joy no matter what, that's faith. Because to choose joy in spite of your circumstances is to believe that God is with you. To choose joy is to have faith that even if you die, God still loves you and has already rescued you. In fact, look how Paul concludes this whole letter, Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 12. He says, I know how to live on almost anything. I I can live on nothing or everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, all circumstances, whether it's with a little, uh, with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Here's the popular verse, verse 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When we put it in its context, that verse has a little bit different meaning. This isn't about winning the game or having the thriving business and riding it on our shoes so that we jump higher and run faster. No, this is about realizing that we have all the strength, that we have everything we need in Christ to find joy no matter our circumstances. This is about knowing that Christ is with us, that Christ is in us, and that we have everything that we need in Christ. It's about realizing that you can persevere through failure, through mistakes, through suffering, with joy because of everything that you have in Christ. Because you are looking forward to that eternal contentment when you will be with him forever. 
You want an unbalanced faith filled with joy? Then remember everything you have in Christ. And if you don't know what you have or what's waiting for you, if you decide to follow Jesus, let me just give you a quick reminder. In Christ, you have freedom. You have innocence, grace upon grace, and the righteousness of God in Christ. You have a heavenly father, a selfless son, a Holy Spirit, and billions of brothers and sisters, a spiritual family in Christ. You have no condemnation, new birth, new life, and new creation, new clothes, a new mind, a new heart, a new covenant, and a new nature in Christ. You have a new spirit that rose Christ from the dead and placed you in a new family and sealed you with a new destiny in Christ. You are chosen, saved, accepted, and adopted in Christ. You have been consecrated, liberated, initiated, supplied, anointed, purified, sanctified, and justified in Christ. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in Christ. You have wisdom, knowledge, vision, imagination, creativity, focus, and purpose in Christ. You have the mission of God, the meaning of life, and the mystery of the gospel in Christ. You have been made alive. You have been made new. You have been made steadfast, made one, and made grateful in Christ. The veil has been lifted and torn in Christ. The distance has been narrowed. The ransom has been paid. The trespasses have been canceled, and the chains have been broken in Christ. You've been given power, victory, triumph, and strength in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm and immeasurable riches. You have a promise that one day you will be consummated, vindicated, resurrected, rewarded, crowned, and perfected in Christ. You have identity, a story, eternal value, and worth in Christ. You have the image of God, the cross-shaped love of Jesus, a real assessment of your evil, and a way out in Christ. You have a transfusion of life, an epic mission, an epic purpose, and an epic ending filled with life-giving, hair-raising, breathtaking love in Christ. And if you've forgotten what you have in Christ, I hope that was a reminder that you can have joy in every circumstance. And if you want that, if you want to follow Jesus and you want to experience all the blessings that you have in Christ, get in contact with us through, your, through our Connect page and we would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus because we want everyone to live an unbalanced faith but to live a faith filled with joy because we know what we have in Christ.